Last week, uh, Pastor West did a great job of introducing this story, John chapter 21. We've been going through post-resurrection stories, stories um, after the resurrection of Jesus, but stories where the, he showed himself to the disciples, showed himself to others. We talked about the road to Emmaus, um, various different encounters with the risen Lord. And he had some business still to do. And one of those marks of business and one of those important conversations that the Lord needed to have was with the Apostle Peter. Now, a lot of you probably know Peter. He's one of the most famous disciples because he's always speaking up. He's always talking. He's always jumping to things. Um, Peter was probably one of the older disciples. He had a wife and kids, and he, they met at his house. He was probably a leader. He was one of the leaders, obviously, amongst the fishermen. But he was just kind of an impulsive, brash, um, but excited about what the Lord was doing. And so a quick review here as who Peter was. Peter, if you remember, he was the one who left the boat to walk on water when he saw Jesus walking on water. And promptly took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. It was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking of his death and was swiftly corrected by the Lord. It was Peter who was renamed Peter, which means rock by Jesus on whom Christ would build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It was Peter who first confessed to Jesus as the Christ, son of the living God. It was also Peter who suggested erecting three tabernacles in honor of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in Matthew 17 and fell to the ground in fearful silence at God's glory at the transfiguration of Jesus. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked the servant of the high priest on the night Jesus was betrayed by Judas. And Peter was immediately told by the Lord to sheathe his weapon. It was Peter who was often jumping quickly. And of course, it was Peter who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord, even if everyone else did. And later denied the Lord three times that he even knew him. Denied him to a little girl. So as we see, it was Peter who would jump out of the boat. And it was last week we talked about the story of when they went out fishing after the resurrection. It was Peter who led the men out. And when Peter saw Jesus, he was the first to jump out of the boat. He abandoned, and abandoned his nets. And swam to Jesus. Now, we, we are hard on Peter a lot, but Peter did love the Lord. Peter sought after the Lord. And we can remember a very powerful passage where the Lord said, began to wash their feet. And Peter said, no, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And Peter said, well, then not just my feet, but my head, my hands, my whole body. But Peter was brash and he jumped out and he, he often speaks for the reader. He speaks for the congregation a lot. We'll be reading a story and Peter's the one who's kind of who will say the thing we might be thinking or ask the big question. And of course, Peter had denied the Lord. And you can imagine where Peter might be. Obviously, he, he, he trusts in the nature of Jesus. He, he's excited to see Jesus. He jumps out of the boat for Jesus, but he might be still wary of his heart and and discouraged and downcast because he knew that he had denied the Lord, even when he said he wouldn't. And he's, he knows that a conversation must be coming before the Lord leaves. He knows at some point the Lord is going to take him aside and talk to him. And you can imagine Peter, as much as he loves the Lord, what's, what's he going to say? Am I no longer the rock? Because <laughs> I fell apart 
Am I no longer one that will hold the keys to heaven? Is he going to demote me or is he going to banish me? You can only imagine. So the way I want to structure this for the sake of time is just three, three points. And if you take notes, I recommend you write the question, space, 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 space. The command, space, 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 space. And the reality. Because everything we talk about today will be caught up in these three points. The command, I mean the question, the command, and the reality. So they finished breakfast, as we saw last week, and Jesus finally takes Peter aside. And gives him this question. When they had finished breakfast, which is very important. I think it's a great thing. The Lord, he says, no breakfast to you, Peter. Let's talk. No, he gave him breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now, if we remember correctly, they caught 153 fish, which is a lot of fish. And, and fishermen always catch, count their fish. You can see Jesus probably pulling in the net with them. You can see all of these fish, and they're probably like, oh, this is so crazy. And, and Jesus had made breakfast. He probably helped count them. He might have helped clean them if they cleaned some of them. But they would have been in front. I mean, where are you going to put 153 fish in their net? So, you know, it's, it's, wherever they, you know, on the shore, wherever it is, they're having breakfast. It's sitting somewhere. And you can just see this scene. And Jesus takes Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this net? The, you know, it's a big, it's your, it's your bobcat. You spent, you know, it's a large part of your money in your business here. It's your net. Do you love me more than these fish that you caught? Ultimately, do you love me more than your profession? Your career? Do you love me more than your fellow Disciples. Now, I want to bug you a little bit this morning. Because this verse bugged me. And it still bugs me. In the best way to be bugged. Because I can remember just two and a half years ago. Little young me, as young I am. And I remember I had my, my band and I had my own studio. And I was working in Kansas City and I was in this co-working space and it was just like this. All my dreams that I had thought for myself had happened very quickly. I had my own little business. Everything was, it was like, whoa, what, what else can, this is great. This is exactly what I always thought I was going to be doing. And it's happening. I'm doing it. And I remember reading this passage and hearing this question. Simon, do you love me? Luke, do you love me more than these? More than your guitars. More than your records and songs or clients. Do you love me more, Luke? I hope that question pierces you today. When you think about this. More than your career. Now, these aren't bad things. But do you love Jesus more? Jesus actually used the hard Greek word, hate. Love more than. When he's speaking about family. Do you love me more than softball? Tuba practice. I'm sorry, I'm not picking on particular people here. Football. Scholarships. Family. 
Peter, do you love me more than these things? Do you love Jesus more than these things? Stick with me. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Interesting. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I jumped out, you know I love you. Jesus said, tend, shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time. And this is where Peter, you know, it's being, oh, this is the conversation three times. I get it. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because this, this was really grabbing him in the heart now. He knew what Jesus was getting at. Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this the third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him the third and final time, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, it's important always to look at what Jesus didn't say, because we talked about this coming conversation. Jesus didn't. Here comes Peter swimming up on the on the shore. Jesus, yeah, Peter, come here. Do you fear me, Peter? What are you doing fishing, Peter? How many times have you repented, Peter? Don't you adore me, Peter? Enough, Peter. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus went to the question of love. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? They're sitting here on a beach together, having breakfast. Do you love me? Because if love be little, if our love for Jesus be little, as we remember the conversation, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Because out of that love, we do all things. If you love, if your love be little, faith will be little. Peter, your faith will be little if you do not love me. If love be little, courage will be little. Peter's courage would be little. Your courage is little. If you, and if love be little, then God will become little. He'll become religion, which is little. It's tiny. It's tiny. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, he helps me so much to understand this question of outpouring of love. The question, then, do you love me, is a very vital question. Far more so than one that merely concerns the outward conduct. It is a question that goes into the very heart and in such a way that it brings the whole heart to one question. For if love be wrong, everything else is wrong. So, Peter, do you love me? Continues to the end of the verse here. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. And carry, carry you where you do not want to go. The Lord said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. We'll talk about it in just a second. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Follow me, Peter. So that's the question. Do you love me? And then the command we see is to feed, to tend, to feed, and to follow. To feed, to tend, to feed, and to follow. Now, authority had been given to Peter. Feed my lambs. 
And it's given to all who believe. The Gospel of John is clear at this. All authority and power, Jesus says. Over and over and over again, the Gospel is, of John is this. Believe the one he sent. I've written all these things so that you will believe. And if you believe, you are sons, you are daughters, you are born again. Be repentant and allow Jesus to control you by his spirit and follow him. So the charge from Jesus to Peter is also to you. So hear these words. What does it mean then to feed the lambs? Why is this so vital? Why does Jesus make this the command over and over again? Well, first and foremost, the call of the believer is to feed the gospel. Feed the gospel. Now, I'm no sheep farmer. And I have never, I have maybe fed sheep twice in my life. And we actually, in our first service, had a sheep farmer here. And he gave me some important advice. But sheep need to be tended to, they need to be fed, and they need a balanced diet. They start on the milk. And then they need a certain kind of, a certain kind of grain without, without copper, without certain nutrients to help them grow. There's many ways of balancing that. Some, some plant, there's many ways to feed the sheep. Some, some plant the seeds that would then grow and be eaten by the sheep. Some, some give them water. Some feed directly. This is what the church does, right? We have VBS coming up, for example. Everything you're doing, when you, when you build a set, when you volunteer your time, when you get other people involved, when you put up a sign in your yard, you're helping the part of feeding the gospel. You're feeding the lambs. You're reaching out. And we tend and we protect the sheep. We tend and we protect the gospel. And we follow the chief shepherd as under shepherds. We learn by his example. We learn by Christ's example. Now, how has this played out? There's a great uh, a book that I've read um, called The Work of a Pastor. And I actually consider it for anyone within the church, anyone who's called, who believes. And it's William Still, he says this in the book. And it just hits me in the heart because it reminds me of our purpose here as the church and what we are doing and why feeding the gospel is so important. It is to feed sheep that men are called to churches and congregations. Whatever they may think they are called to do. If you think that you were called to keep a largely worldly organization, miscalled a church, going with infinitesimal doses of innocuous sub-Christian drugs or stimulants, then the only hope I can give you is to advise you to give up the hope of the ministry and go and be a street scavenger, a far healthier and more gaudy job, keeping the streets tidy and cluttering the church with a lot of worldly claptrap in the delusion that you're doing a job for God. The pastor, the believer, is called to feed the sheep, even if the sheep do not want to be fed. Same goes for your families. He is certainly not to be an entertainer of goats. Let goats entertain goats. And let them do it in goat land. You will certainly not turn goats into sheep by pandering to their goatishness. 
Do we really believe that the word of God by his spirit changes as well as maddens men? Do we believe that? If we do to be evangelists and pastors, feeders of sheep, we must be men and women of the word of God. Amen. Let that pierce you to the heart. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to feed you with the word of God so you can do likewise as a parent, as a coach, as an employee of wherever you may work, as a student, as a child. Feed the gospel first. Feed on the gospel first. Do not incorporate the antics, the watering down, the copper of Goatland into Christ's commands. Do not change it. As I said, church is not about being entertained. It's about being fed. Church should not look like the world. It's to be set apart. Jesus didn't give Peter a growth strategy or a piece of advice. He gave a statement to feed his sheep, to follow him. As your pastor, I've given my oath to feed you the word and the sacraments, which within the sacraments, which we will share today, is the whole story of the gospel. The dying, the bleeding, the resurrection and new life through his name. This the world is starving for this. It's starving for truth. Many of the sheep are starving for truth. Believers are starving to be fed, to be brought into a balanced diet. As Jesus said this, even in Matthew 9, looking at his fellow Jews, he said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? Follow me, follow me. The Apostle Paul speaking to young Timothy, the soon to be pastor. He says, preach the word. And remember, this is for you as well, believers. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, into goat land. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Last point. What's the reality? So we got the question. Got the command. What's it look like to follow Jesus? What's it look like? Well, first of all, Jesus, if we're following after him, he is the chief shepherd. We the under shepherds. Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Apostle Paul again says, well, if therefore be imitators of God, be imitators of Jesus as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma.
the reality of following Jesus and feeding his lambs the gospel more and more is going to be laying down your life for the lambs. Laying aside self for the lambs. Laying aside your loves, your desires, things you want for yourself, things you want your world to look like. These disciples, Peter himself, told this word to follow Jesus. What became the reality? Well, Peter was obviously the one who went out on Pentecost and began to preach the gospel. And thousands were saved. And the church exploded. In 66 AD, Peter was also, as Jesus predicted, led away. He was crucified upside down because he thought it not worthy to be crucified in the same way as Christ. As it says, your arms will be stretched out where you do not want them to go. All of the disciples, Andrew, went to the Soviet Union, church tradition says, where he was crucified. Thomas went to India. You can look this up. It's fascinating. Went to India and was killed by spears. Philip went to Asia Minor. He actually converted a Roman proconsul where he was then tortured and crucified upside down, where tradition says he continued to preach from his cross. Matthew, the tax collector who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew went to Ethiopia and southern Arabia. There's various accounts of how he was martyred. James, son of Zebedee, was killed, we see in Acts, by Herod Agrippa I, was the first to die. James, son of Alphaeus, Josephus, our Jewish historian, tells him that he was thrown from the highest point in the temple, was then clubbed to death for his preaching of the gospel. Simon the Zealot, ministered in Persia, was sawn in half for not sacrificing to the sun god. Jude, who wrote the gospel, not the gospel, but uh, wrote the book of Jude, was beaten to death with a club and then beheaded in first century Persia. Matthias was the apostle who was chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew, death by burning. And John, who actually wasn't martyred, was the only one, and Jesus predicted, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he actually escaped being boiled alive in oil. These are the same disciples that Jesus looked at and said, fear not, I've overcome the world. Have peace. Take heart. The comforter, the advocate will be with you. Did Jesus lie? Absolutely not. You can read about each and every one of these disciples who went gladly to their deaths, but all they were doing was feeding the lambs. They were feeding the lambs. They were tending the lambs. They were protecting the lambs. And many of their followers, the disciples that made disciples, that made disciples. And beloved, we stand in a great country that allows us to preach the gospel and without much repercussion. More is coming, but many of our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering and dying and losing their churches because they're feeding the lambs. That's the reality. And more and more, you will be put to the test. Will you preach the gospel and nothing but the gospel? Will you preach Christ and Him crucified? Salvation is from no one else, as Peter went out to say. From no one else. Repent, brothers and sisters. Be reconciled to God. Because He loves you. Does he intend to dwell again with us? He does. 
He wants to bless you. He wants to be with you. But you must repent and be born again. Not same old flesh. Not I'm going to keep my right foot. Everything must be born again. Everything must be put upon this cross. And therefore you go and feed the lambs the same gospel. So we have many opportunities here at this church to feed the lambs. Many, many opportunities. And this fall we're stepping into an opportunity where we're going to read the Bible together in a little bit of a different way. But it's going to go out from not just the pulpit, but it's going to go into our life groups, our children's groups, and our youth groups. We're going to be reading the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis to Deuteronomy. And we're going to read it together. And then we're going to really push for life groups because this is a big church and we've got to be together in life groups. We've got to be together. And this is one of the great opportunities for you to feed the lambs and to be fed and to feed others and to invite other lambs into the, into the groups. And so what we're looking for right now and my ask for you is we're looking for hosts. People are saying, I'll host a group. I want to feed the lambs. I'll host the group. I'll open up my house. And we're just, we're going to make an eight week challenge. That's it. You don't got to go longer than eight weeks. In fact, I'm telling you not to. Okay. What's going to be in the fall. We're looking for those hosts and we're going to be going through this group, this study called Immerse. And it's like the community Bible experience if you were a part of that. But right now I'm asking for hosts and for you to begin to think about getting in a group. So I wanted to show you here as our ending thing before we go to communion, a quick video that describes what Immerse is and what it'll look like.